podcast about leadership, management, and determining just how many kettlebell swings are too many. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pie or Pie Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller. Excitement over small things is the big thing that's keeping me excited in life right now. Uh-huh. Uh, today on the show, we're talking with Aaron Lertz, Director of Engineering at Envision. Hi, Aaron. I see your earbuds. Welcome to the show. Uh, And we will kick this right off with the usual question, which is tell us about your path to leadership, to management, to where you are now, starting wherever you'd like. Tell us all about it. (laughs) Well, this is where I go. One day, my mom met my dad. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, maybe not that far back. Eh, if it's In relevant, fourth grade, I stole a cookie from a cookie jar. Uh, that's <laughs> a good reference. how to program Sorry, the Van Halen logo in basic. <laughs> Path to leadership. Uh, by the way, it's great to be here. Thanks. And uh, happy to talk to both of you. Um, hey. Path Path to leadership. That's a path to management is one thing. Path to leadership is another thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> gosh, actually, I do. I would start early on with my dad, frankly. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad was a counselor, a school counselor. He was, uh, then he, he's a, uh, he became a pastor and he did pastoral counseling. We, um, he never brought his work home with him, right? It was all private, definitely private information, but I learned a ton from him just listening to how he interacted with people and problems and like how he, just how he was a leader and how he led. And and that was actually super interesting. The context is totally different, not applicable. <laughs> Maybe it is in some ways, but, uh, sure. but uh, the way he interacted with folks was, was super interesting. Um, he ended up going on and becoming what they call like an interim pastor. So when something bad happened, think of it like a, a temporary CEO, right? When something bad happens and you bring in somebody to help kind of write the ship and turn things around, which was super interesting to hear how he engaged with, like basically he was, paid to go in and deal with tough situations troubled Um, congregations yeah stuff like that like yeah it's all interpersonal stuff so in that regard compared to like work in the technology field totally similar we're all human beings we all have emotions we bring all of that to work every day um and just it was interesting so path to leadership like i when i think back on it that's that's like a huge start for me is just watching how he interacted with the world and what was happening around him and the people that he was responsible for in some way. Right. So, um, so that's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of where it started, I would say. So, and and you said that's, that's more the leadership side of things. Yeah. You're going to get interrupted, get used to it. Yeah. yeah, I have Um, four kids. I have four kids. I live in that space. You're aware of this. Um, (laughs) So, so can you, can you talk about any, I mean, you don't need to name names or really specific situations or anything like that. We're, we're not into that on the show typically, but, uh, it, unless you'd like examples. to, in which yeah, case we can like be to. into that on this show. Um, sure. Yeah, sorry. But like a, a, an example of that kind of um, taking a hard situation and and using his interpersonal skills and uh, to to get in the middle of it and resolve it or make it better. Can you think of an example of that? Yeah, more than one. Um, but without without naming like specific people or situations. Um, there, there was, there are like a number of examples, but one. Let me think of how to name, how to how to how to talk about it without talking about it. Um, mm. There, there was a, there was a time where uh, I joined a company and 
there was a lot of uh, interpersonal difficulties at the company between multiple people at various levels. It was a very small company. Um, multiple people had a lot of difficulty working together. It wasn't really about the work or what the product was or what we needed to, I mean, it all came out, out of, you know, what do we need to deliver? What are we doing? Everybody's got a different perspective, different way of going about it. Um, but I actually saw part of my role at that company at that time was to help bridge, not bridge the gaps. Like I, I didn't want to be the person that everything would fall apart if I wasn't there, but to restore the, like to restore those relationships, to, to restore those to connections, force. to bring balance to the force. Exactly. So that when, really? when I exited the force, that everything would stay within some balance. Now I didn't totally succeed at that. Um, but I do like to think that it got a little bit better as a result, but, uh, and that was like co-founders, CEO, engineering, product, marketing. Like there was, it was kind of like the, the whole gamut, the whole picture, um, just kind of, seeing what was in front of us, what was happening, looking at, it really came down to like assessing uh, what are the, what are some of the key drivers behind these dysfunctions that we see? Like, what are the, there's a ton of stuff. There's always, there's always a lot of things. We're all, like I said, we're all human beings, but like, what are some of the key contributing factors, whether it's systemic or people understanding how other people worked and like modifying to understand how that can fit together um, trying to dig into some of those underlying pieces and, and see if we can make it better. And this was you asking people, hey, what's really going on and trying to help them discover what their issues were and kind of like in a coaching situation or what was your role in that? Like, like what did it actually look like? Yeah, it was, yeah, I would say very much a coaching situation where, and it's not like asking people what's really going on because no one actually knows what's really going on. <laughs> all, all you can see, like when you're in it, all you see is like, what you see and what you can't see is like all the things that contribute underneath the covers from yourself. When you're, <laughs> I don't know if any of you have ever had problems with anybody else. I know that you're perfect and you have no issues, what? But, but when I you mean, I read about it, yeah, books, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like but you, it's like, this was like counseling again, like what your, your, yeah, you said yeah. your dad used to do, or maybe he still does it. I don't know. But, uh, that's, that's kind of, that kind of counseling. If you learn that, uh, going to each individual group or party and going over what it is they're finding uh, to be a problem, trying yeah. to dig into the reasons behind that, bringing that all together. Uh, like maybe do you have a, like a scenario, like you have at the end of, you know, knives out where everyone is in the room and you go, and this is what's broken <laughs> or, or is it much more subtle than that? I forgot. What's the rating on this podcast? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That was a fantastic movie, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it. no, it's, it's, you haven't seen it. You should watch it. You should it's, see it. Uh, Don't spoil it. Fun. Yeah. Um, bring the kids. It's great. Um, we actually watched it with the kids and it was fine. Um, so yes, it's very much that, um, it's that listening to them, hearing, like you have to hear people and then you have to like understand what's, what they can't see that's inside there. And then you have to ask questions that help them see that thing. So people, when they're in a difficult situation, when I'm in a difficult situation, man, it is that other person's problem. It is their fault, right? It's not my fault. It's their fault. Because obviously I have great intentions. I'm doing the best that I can. Mm -hmm. It's really just their fault. Um, hypothetically, <laughs> if that were to happen to me, I would assume that's what it would be like, because that's obviously never happened. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, so a lot of it is like listening to them and hearing what their concerns are, understanding and helping them to see their role in it. 
as well as understanding the other person's role and kind of connecting really honestly, like there's a part of it that, you know, I mentioned like bridging or connecting. It's actually about just helping each person better engage in the situation. And if everybody can better engage, the system result you're going to get is different or better than the sum of all the parts. And you're going to get a different outcome and different result from it. So, so, so this is good and interesting, but it's so high level. I'm having yeah. a difficult time. I know, with yeah. it. So, yeah. so come down really and early on. Well, talk a little bit. Yeah. So, so back, come back down yeah, 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 and yeah. talk us through your roles at these different places and what it was, what you yeah. learned along the way. Totally. Yeah. So what I was saying was as leading into this with like my watching my dad kind of helped introduce me to leadership, kind of form what it can look like for me. Um, my path in it professionally was when I graduated from school, uh, I joined Raytheon, uh, you know, large Department of Defense contractor. I worked there for just sure. over three years. Um, and in that, I, I, my education, my background is in uh, software engineering. So I got my degree in computer engineering, um, immediately abandoned all of the electrical engineering and physics aspects and just started doing like software and web programming and things like that, uh, as one is mm -hmm. wanted to do uh, back in the dot-com era. Mm -hmm. um, so started working at Raytheon as a software engineer and just sort of learned what does it mean to be a grown-up at a company <laughs> and how does this work and what does this look like and learned a lot about process and systems and tools and very complex infrastructures and com like just a lot of very interesting uh, interesting things. Also learned a lot of things that I wouldn't do. Like the lar any large company is just going to have tons of inefficiencies or bad practices, uh, things that organizationally like just grow up and go wild as we know. Um, so I, <clears throat> I started there for a couple of years uh, as a software engineer, you know, going up to like senior software engineer. And then I left to go join a company called Interactive Intelligence, which did contact center IP telephony software. So all the things that run the voice infrastructure behind a contact center, but it was actually more than that. It was a multi-channel contact center solution. I'm not here to sell you on it, but just going to tell you it was pretty <laughs> awesome. Uh, multi <laughs> Let me tell you about all the great things it did, but basically handling things like chats and SMS messages and voice and sure. like emails, it kind of unified that into like contact center. I'm helping my customers kind of uh, software. And I actually was there for about a decade um, as an engineer, as a lead engineer, which for us sort of meant like a technical lead architecture, uh, you know, like oversight as well as a manager. So I oscillated after that. Oh, talk, we can talk more about what I did after that, but basically for about 15 years, 10 to 15 years oscillated between engineering and management and loved engineering way too much to give it up. And so I continued to kind of like pop back and forth. Sometimes one time I hired a person, great guy, was a retired CEO, hired him as uh, more of a junior engineer coming in because he loved software and kind of did it on his own. And after he had retired in his career as a CEO, he came to work on our team. I ended up promoting him to be my boss and I took a role on the team after a while uh, and just went back into the pure engineering side of things. And he kind of helped bring some structure to the team at that point. What did you enjoy about the management versus the individual contributor side? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> did you? I mean, was there not much you enjoyed back then? Like, did it was no. it later on that you grew to like the engineering management? Or no, I enjoyed all of it. That was my problem, right? I enjoyed oh, okay. uh, heads down, really dig into a deep technical problem, and just like 
geek out on it and really solve the like this complex issue that you had to figure out and, and solve. I built a number of products, like re-architected some infrastructure pieces. Like it was really, really fun. Um, and then I also enjoyed working with people, helping to coach them, kind of bringing a team together and like what that looks like and bringing, just kind of helping people. I mean, honestly, at that point in my career and still today, it was like, I want you to enjoy your work. Like I want you to enjoy your job. We're here to do something together. How can we do it better together and just enjoy it more, be connected to the work and each other as a team more? Um, I still believe that that's like the fundamental unit of what contributes to success is like a strong team. You can have a lot of other crazy stuff happening around it, but if you've got a strong team, uh, that's a huge element of success. So I just enjoyed, I enjoyed that. Um, I didn't always enjoy some of the like, doing performance reviews and managing like budgetary concerns and all that other kind of stuff. But, um, but I just loved being, bringing a team together. And so I just couldn't sure. pick, I couldn't pick what I loved more at any given time. And so I kind of just sure. kept, I followed the energy. I have a friend that says like, he follows the energy. I followed the energy um, in any but given moment. At some point you followed the energy in the leadership side far enough to get to director. So what happened? Tell Tell us the specifics of that. How, how, how did you stop fluctuating back down or did you go down to individual contributor and then back up to director overnight? Uh, disclaimer, I know Aaron personally and know the answer to this question. What? Um, go ahead. <laughs> it's great. I don't know the question. I want to know what you think the answer is. I don't know if I know what it is. No. I think the answer is – no, go ahead. <laughs> I always love hearing about myself from other people because it's fascinating what I learn. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was about uh, me and about them. Stand. And uh, then straight to – sorry, keep going. Yeah, there's always money in the banana stand. That's that's, that's right. Always. Um, so I oscillated for a long time. Probably long uh, – I didn't – I was about to say probably longer than I should have, but that's wrong because there's no wrong answer here. It's literally just – I need to provide for my family. I need to love what I do. Like there's no wrong answer to how that works, but I oscillated for a really long time. Uh, and what year is it? About three and a half years ago. How can you forget what year it is? Okay. never mind. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could forget what year it is. I definitely forget what month it is or day it is or yeah, any of that stuff. Um, about three and a half years ago, I was um, trying to decide like, okay, which <laughs> I kind of joke about it. Like, I think this actually probably was true. I was, you know, on the engineering side of things, I was a couple hours into debugging why a Ruby gem wasn't compiling in a particular Docker container for this one downstream thing that I needed. I needed to like do something and four dependencies deep was failing. And I was, I was in the weeds and I was like, you know what? Management sounds really, really great. Software right engineering now. is so great. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to, um, I'm like, I'm like two weeks away from being able to solve this actual simple business problem because I'm trying to deal with all this other stuff, the complexity that was underneath it. So it was like those moments that I was like, you know what? I am actually getting a little bit tired of solving the, com the under the covers complexity of engineering just to get something done. And that's a whole nother thing in and of itself. But I started to think like maybe it's time for me to circle back towards management. And I was talking with a friend slash coach of mine. Um, and I say like, basically he, he's a leadership coach who took me on pro bono because I'm his friend and gave me a lot of great advice and uh, made a big difference for me. But 
he was kind of encouraging me towards the management side he, because he saw that um, I wasn't full, like I could do so much more in that, in that role than I, than I had been doing. So I'd been oscillating from engineer to an engineering manager. And he's like, I think you have some things that you can bring to the table at a, like you're, you're on, what did it, what's the phrase? Uh, like you're punching under your weight or whatever the sports ball yeah. phrase is for. Yeah. So he's like, I think you can, I think you can do a lot. I think you can do a lot more than you're doing uh, and you can have a bigger impact. And so I was thinking about it and thinking I needed to get more strategic or, or intentional about like what I do in my career so that I could make, like make good, positive directional choices. So three and a half years ago, I was like, okay, I'm going to actually make the choice to, um, to pursue, uh, to pursue management, to pursue upper level management and really like learn that craft and learn the things that I didn't yet know because I just hadn't gotten to those levels where you have to deal with them, like dealing with budgets at that scale or, or other things like that. Mm-hmm. So that so was three, and a half three years, years ago. ago. You're, you've been in a, a leadership role since then. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, no. All right. Yeah, so, I, so I made that decision and then immediately took a job as a senior software architect with no direct reports at a small company and like uh, had nothing to do with that. Brilliant. Because it totally yeah. makes sense. Because when you're thinking strategically, you can't see me tapping my head right now, but when you're thinking strategically, <laughs> you're thinking like five steps ahead. So, you know, you got to really think out there. Uh, no. Yeah. The goal with that move was to join the company and help them grow. And like, as they were going to grow, I was intending fully to dig in on the technical side, make some, you know, achieve some goals that we needed to, to help move the company forward. And as we grew and hired, I was going to, like, I went there with an explicit intention for me and them to grow into a management capacity and start to help lead the teams in that way. Uh, But that didn't really last too long that I was there for about six months, sort of realized that where we were at as a company and my particular goals, the distance between the two was much longer than I had in, thought it was going to be or intended for it to be. And just sort of realized that I could stay there and stay in that individual contributor, senior architect kind of role for a while. Um, but the growth and the management side of things was going to be a uh, much longer time coming. So, mm-hmm. so because I was making decisions about where I needed to go, I, I learned that and decided to go ahead and move on to, Envision, which is where I'm at today. So for the past three years, so as Kendall, your question was like that journey to deciding to move down that path towards director, VP, et cetera. That was essentially like the first action was about three years ago when I joined Envision. Um, And I joined Envision as an engineering manager. I wanted to work at a company that was dealing with things at a particular size or scale, uh, work with some really great people where I'd learn a ton. And the remote aspect, I know I talked with you back then, because you've been uh, working to, remotely in leadership capacities for a while, I was really concerned about what that would be like and if that's viable or I, I knew what it looked like to do that as an engineer, but just not as a as a leader or manager. Um, and based on your advice and other people's advice, uh, decided it wouldn't be that horrible and, and took the leap. And do you regret that? No, not at all. It's been fantastic. Okay, good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sitting great. here yeah. holding my breath here. It's um, definitely not okay. for everybody to do this remote, like to do a management or leadership role remotely is not for everybody. There's people that are incredibly successful at it in a co-located context, and it does not translate to a remote context. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But for me personally, it was a very natural transition. Obviously, there's a ton of overlap in skills, right? In leadership, as, as a manager, you use a lot of the same skills, but 
there's a whole set of things that you can't rely on. You can't rely on the kinds of in-person dynamics that you have, the group dynamic uh, that you're accustomed to when you're in person. So yeah, it's it takes practice. People think, oh yeah, I can just move into that remote leadership role. How do, how could how hard could it be? Well, it's pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking We're of that around. kind of thing, like, oh sorry, go ahead, tell a story. No, no, I was just saying walk around management doesn't work uh, so great yeah, when, when everybody's around. about 100 to 2,000 miles away. Uh, if, you, if you have IT that is recording everyone's screens, you can just snoop. In theory, you could do it. Uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't know anyone that's doing that, but I bet it's happening somewhere. That's uh, basically the same thing. Get back to work. I'm positive yeah, it's happening. There's a lot of gigs still hiring even now in the pandemic where they're like, you, you must be in the office. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? There's a friend of mine, a friend of mine in Indiana. So we moved from just for some context, we've lived in Indiana for the last 20 years until uh, this last fall when we moved to just north of the Denver area. Um, And there's a friend of mine in Indiana who started a company must've been six, seven years ago, which the, the product, it was a SaaS product. And what they sold was screen monitoring software for, for distributed workforces where you have like the more lower level think like the mechanical Turk, the folks that are just kind of doing rote tasks. And it's kind of like you're uh, like you would manage honestly. Well, okay. Let me back up for a sec. Uh, contact centers, just to touch on that for a second, uh, typically ran their places like, like sweatshops. Like a lot of them run their place like a sweatshop. It's all like, here's the script. You follow the script. We monitor your screen and your behavior. And if you're out of like, here's the parameters. And when it diverges, like we fire you and we onboard somebody else. Um, and it's funny because I was starting to, yeah. Mr. Anderson. Yeah. I finish your thought. You were starting to. <laughs> well, I was starting to say that like my friend's company that built the software is for companies that do that, but where folks are at home and you kind of need to, you're managing people, you're micromanaging your workforce because yeah. it's more rote and you have like these, we're, we're, we're running the business by the numbers only, right? But uh, I was about to say that that was a, the reasonable thing. But the interesting thing is that some of our contact center customers that were our most successful customers had the best uh, customer service and their metrics and numbers were fantastic, operated totally differently than that. They actually trusted their people. They eased up on the reins. They hired people who were more invested in their work. And then they gave them more room to go do their work. And um, so, yeah. Yeah, nothing, all nothing the same to glean from here. that. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I, I briefly did telemarketing in high school, and I have a very distinct memory of a call ended, and I have to press a button to go on to the next call, and I had a textbook open on the desk because I was reading my uh, school homework in between classes, forgot to hit the button, and my boss walked by and screamed, slapped by the back of my chair and screamed very loudly, next call, please. And I was like, ah. Uh, and um, so, yeah, to, to that point. But anyway, answer was, Rachel, I feel valued as a human being right now. That's Thank right. That's, uh, yeah. that's the reaction. Like, oh, <laughs> uh, that sucks so bad to not be trusted. Yeah, of course they're going right. to, it's going to lead to further uh, badness, further bad behavior because, well, they don't trust me. Why would I? Why would I not take every opportunity I can to get up, get one up on the man, as it were? Yeah. Um, so what I was going to ask is, you've you know you've you've come a long way. You've made a plan, and now you're executing on your plan in terms of being a leader and being in upper management at the director level. Um, what what has been the hardest lesson you've had to learn on the way here? 
the hardest lesson that I've had to learn. <clears throat> or the most of, embarrassing one. That's a good well, one. They're too. all the same. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was, yeah, I'm, I'm hesitating and chuckling because the, the hardest lessons are all highly correlated with my own like personality and my own strengths and weaknesses and personal like experiences and leanings and the ways that I've had to by necessity deal with my own stuff <laughs> in order, like for the sake of my job, my teams, the company, I have to deal with my stuff. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, sorry. <laughs> there's, there's a, there's a bunch of things there. Uh, one for me, honestly, the biggest lessons that, I can't remember how you phrased your question. Could you say it again? Cause I love, I loved how you said it. Uh, I, I wanted to know what, uh, what has been the hardest or most embarrassing lesson you've had to learn on your way to where you are today. Yeah. Okay. So the, the hardest and or most embarrassing lesson, um, is <clears throat> that I can actually make decisions and, and say things and set direction and specify things to people and to teams to say, this is what we need to go do, <laughs> which sounds, yeah, we should probably talk about that a little bit, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you mean? What like, do you, what do you you're, mean? You're, yeah. You're, yeah. You're empowered to make a decision to have a viewpoint. Is that what you're saying? You don't necessarily need this to be democratic every time. Basically. Yeah. yeah that's that's well a hard summarized. lesson. Because I'm one where I want my teams to be engaged and I want my folks to have uh, a certain level of autonomy and the ability to like control their own destiny. And I want to, I, what I tend to do is, and I'm good at this. I set context. Here is the operating context we're in the, th the kinds of things we need to do, the kinds of large scale parameters we have, like directionally, this is where we're aiming. And by default, I want people to have the room to get in there and define what that looks like for their particular area of ownership. Um, mm -hmm. and from a personal perspective, what I tend to do is I tend to think that if I'm overly specific on those things, I am now telling somebody what else to do. I'm now stomping on them They're, They won't trust me. They won't listen because they like, they're actually the ones in a lot of cases that know what the right thing to do is. First of all, do I actually know what the right thing to do is when they're closer to the work that needs to be done? What's the relationship? Like, what's the interaction of that relationship? And to what degree do I say, we need to go do X and to what degree do they say we need to go do X and how does that work? And I've tended to look at it as if I'm, if I swing the pendulum into the, I'm telling you what to do space. Um, it's going to erode trust. It's like, you're, it's not going to build the kind of team I want to build. But what happens is my team comes to me and they say, we, we need you to like be a little bit more specific and tell it like, like lead us. We, we would like you to lead us a little bit more in this area because yes, that makes sense. Um, but we just need some like more specific direction and me learning that like, it's okay when you have trust with your team to in cases to give more specific direction. Um, that's been a really hard one because it makes me super uncomfortable. Do you think that it's connected to, so it, it sounds, it doesn't actually sound like the thing I thought it was, which is, uh, and uh, not liking to have any kind of um, power over other people, having a not being comfortable with authority in general, which we will talk about, but more like you like to have everyone on board and having had their say, um, 
you don't like to be the one that stands up and says the thing. It doesn't sound like it's quite like that. I'm having a hard time expressing this, but um, no, yeah, not liking to have a disagreement perhaps or a confrontation of some kind tends to lead to this sort of uh, leadership where the leader is hoping for someone else to tell them what actually needs to happen. They're not actually ready to stand up and have a viewpoint. It doesn't sound like that's what's going on with you. You just want to make sure that you have all the data, that you everyone has uh, input into this decision. And sometimes that's not actually uh, efficient, right? Right. Uh, so you have to make a balance. And that balance changes when the company gets bigger as well, I expect. It's Yeah, that's right. And it's... Um it's sometimes people just sometimes people need a, a push in the right direction. And it's not enough for me to say, here's the river or the lake. We need to get to the other side of the lake. They like, they need somebody to kind of launch the boat and then they can kind of get going. So like an example that just happened literally in these last few weeks was one of my teams at Envision, we've kind of organized them around building out the next generation of our infrastructure platform. We've got a number of improvements we need to make a number of ways we want to approach the the solutions that we're building, uh, we've kind of reorganized our teams recently around a, a more clarified vision and strategy. So I got up in front of the, I, I defined the vision and strategy. I got up in front of the teams. I walked us through a reorganization and I laid out the vision and strategy. So like no problems. Like that's, I'm happy to do that. That's my job, but you know, like that's what I get paid for. I will do that. That's, and I loved it. That's great. What the team also then needed as they began to engage in that one of the teams, they, we're kind of starting to look at like this infinite sea of possibilities of like, we could do all of these things. And they were kind of struggling with like, how do we break it down into like, what's our first step? Like where, what gets us moving? And so they were starting to, well, if we're going to do a, then we also have to do B and C and D and like the natural. And as an engineer, I've done this a ton as well. And I totally understand it of like, you see the problem space and you kind of your scope, it's scope creep. You just start to expand and like, we could, we're going to solve this. We may as well solve everything. Right. (laughs) And so what they actually needed from me and what they asked for was like a more specified milestone that they needed to aim at. So I was like, okay, at the end of Q3, uh, we need to deliver something that does a, B and C. It doesn't do X, Y, or Z. It doesn't do these other things. It needs to actually solve these three problems. Um, and like, they didn't actually need me to say that that's a thing that they could have said. There was no ownership, you know, it's not a thing that in my role, I'm the one that knows that it was, I listened to the problems they were, they were um, grappling with. And I, from those, I discerned some first steps and said, these are the first steps we're going to take. And they were like, they literally were like, thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Let's go do that. that Yeah. Yeah. You're empathetic in trying to allow for autonomy and have swung the pendulum slightly too far in the direction of just go, just do your jobs and feel good about it. And sometimes need to put your foot down and say, okay, this is what we need done. I need you to get it done. I can still give you freedom in how to get there, but yes. this is really what needs to happen, y'all. Uh, and yep. it's it's that spectrum. At the end of the day, I'm an, if you know anything about the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram type nine, which is a, um, uh, I'm a connector. Building. Yep. Yep. I, one of the downsides to me is that I can see everybody else's perspective and I can understand it and connect with it. Sorry, this is actually an upside, but I see it as a downside. I can see see and understand. Yeah. I see everybody's perspective. I can understand multiple points of view and I can help align those points of view together, which is a huge strength. And that's awesome. And it actually helps me build strong teams 
But I can also, the downside is I can lose my own perspective in that process because I adapt to the people that I'm around and I'm dealing with. And I can lose a bit of myself in that. And it also comes with a side order of conflict adversity or, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah, conflict adversity. Yeah, aversion. So what happens is exactly this, where it's, it's, it takes, what it means is that it takes active energy for me to remember and to allow myself to be okay with the fact that I can put my foot down, for example, in, in the best possible, healthy, you know, team trust oriented way, I can still put my foot down and be like, this is what we're going to do. And we got to get it done. Um, Mm -hmm. but that is lessons that I've learned and it's all involves like facing my own demons (laughs) Yeah, and, uh, and usually other people, the great thing about the teams that I have and the team that I have today, for example, they come to me with this stuff and they're like, yeah, you know what? You kind of suck at that and you need to do better. And I'm like, yes. So <laughs> thank you. Well, so, so, so talk a little bit about that. Like this, it sounds like so this is authority so, issues. We, yeah. So tell us more about how you suck. No, we ask everybody, you know, talk about your relationship with authority. And uh, it sounds like you have a complicated relationship with authority. You want people to not feel like there is strong authority over them so much so that sometimes your own authority is weaker than it could be it because eroded. you're you're not leveraging it right. Yeah. yeah. So like like because how, I have issues you know, how do you authority. feel about yeah. yeah, well so so talk I don't about want that. What, how do you I don't want feel... somebody to tell me what to do. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. So my, say more about that. You don't my, like it when others have authority over you. Yeah, I don't I I want I want that freedom. I want somebody to be like here's the big picture challenges we need you to solve. Now go figure it out and go like define what needs to be done. Uh just that I turn around and say that same thing to my team <laughs> instead of usually. And that's actually part of my growth, right? Is that I've always been for the longest time cycling between manager and engineer. I've been at the lower end of that spectrum where there's no one to turn to and be like, we got to figure this out. It's like, I got to figure this out. Or my few folks that are working with me on this problem space together, we need to figure this out. So part of my adjustment and learning is figuring out what it means to be in that middle space of somebody saying, here's the things you need to go solve. And then me turning around and saying, here's the things we need to go solve and figuring that out. Being but middle I, management is hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanna, you're, you're master of, of, of everyone and also everyone is master of you. <laughs> yep. And I, I want to touch on that for a second because I there's a I want to, to what you said, Kendall, real quick, I want to um, pop back to that because my coach slash friend a while ago, he mentioned to me that I have issues with authority. And I was like, I, I don't at all. Like if I understand and agree with what we're doing, I'm totally fine. He's like, that's like, by definition, having issues with authority is like, authority is basically like, <laughs> what, what do you do when, when you, somebody, when you don't agree or understand, like, what do you do in that case? That's right. I was like, yeah, well, when you say you problem. have issues with authority, you're supposed to say, no, I don't. You're not my real dad. <laughs> totally That's don't. To say, right? Like, but. But yeah. and, and has this changed since you were, so, you know, it, it sounds like you probably had issues with authority since you were a teenager, since you were young. Um, and you're learning how to deal with all of that as part of your growth and your path towards uh, leadership and management. But um, has your relationship with authority changed from how it was when you were a kid? How do you how do you feel now about things? Fundamentally, I, I hope that it's changed since I was a kid. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, at face value, I hope I hope that I'm growing and learning and changing. Um, but I also understand that as humans, there's a core to us that sort of gets solidified early on that typically doesn't change that much. We just learn how to manage it better, interact with it a little bit better. So um, I I would say that I haven't fundamentally changed how I interact with authority. I've always 
hated being told what to do unless I understood why and agreed with like, and at least understood why it is that we're doing a thing. Um, it has changed in so much as that I've grown in my ability to disagree and commit to understand why we're doing a thing to not agree with said thing and then to figure out how to move it forward. And if it's not a thing I can disagree and commit on, then I look at like, I I'm not in the right place because, um, because that's maybe a values misalignment or something like that. So I think it's my ability to interact with it has changed, but probably it's not that different internally than it was a long time ago. Mm, yeah. You've just been able to layer on more experience and, uh, uh, wisdom and, yeah. and actually having your own autonomy, which you didn't really have when you were a kid, I expect. Yeah. Not yep. too much of, yeah. Yeah, I definitely do whatever I want. And my wife and kids have no say in it. And I get to do, yeah. That's totally how it works. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly how it works. Uh, Well, so I want to go back a little bit then. I mean, with with this understanding of how you think about authority, some of of the things that you've gotten right or wrong or had to grow and change in, um, you know, this is something it sounds like you're you're pretty self-aware. You're pretty tuned into these things, always trying to improve in it. But what's something that, you're delighting in right now as a leader? What's something that really energizes you being a director in this role? Like, uh, what are you having fun doing? Mm. At least two things, if not more. Uh, Number one, and this is what I was going to touch on earlier, was uh, I am in middle management, but the role that I have in the organization, so at Envision, I've been a director in two and a half capacities. So uh, in one capacity, it was within our product engineering organization, building Envision's core like building our products. And I owned some pieces of that. In that world, uh, I was totally middle management. My sh- The shape of my organization and what we needed to do was kind of defined outside of us. And my job was to figure out internal to that, how do we, how do we make that happen? How do we set up the right interactions with the rest of the organization building the products? How do we do our part of that? The, the, the half part of it is that I started to put a foot over into the uh, platform and infrastructure world. And I kind of had a foot in both worlds, in which case I still had a little bit of that sort of exterior, externalized shape of what it was that we should do. More recently, and as of like last fall, I've taken on platform engineering as a whole. And it doesn't feel like middle management because it, it literally is a place where my leadership is not sitting there saying, here's the shape of what you need to deliver. They're like, here's your broad responsibilities, reliability of our pro- reliability of our infrastructure, availability of our product, developer happiness, general infrastructure tooling, like you own that area. And I actually get to decide what the shape of my org is, what the priorities of the challenges are, and I can work. It's like kind of more like what I would think of as a what a VP would typically start to think about in terms of how they think I've thoroughly enjoyed that. Like, I don't care about titles and that kind of stuff in terms, like I want to enjoy what I'm doing. And I've really enjoyed, even though it's been a growth, (laughs) Mm -hmm. an area for growth for me, it's been really enjoyable to have some big general areas of operation. And then I get to look at what are the things holding, like, what do we need to do? How do we need to approach it? What's important? What's important and providing priorities. It just feels really good to, not have to deal with my authority. I guess my authority issues align well with, I get more autonomy, but I've really enjoyed that. That brings me a tremendous amount of joy also brings a tremendous amount of active learning on a regular basis, which is super painful, but like joyful pain, you know, like good pain because everything. Because you're making mistakes all the time or. 
I mean, yeah, I make mistakes and uh, I make mistakes and or I have to go figure something out that I've never done before or looks a little bit different than I've seen it before. Um, and I have to like invest in figuring that out and learning it. Um, are, you, are you getting coached on this? Because it's, it's a big step up from what you've been doing. It sounds like it sounds terrifying in that regard. Like, mm -hmm. do you have a, you probably have a budget as well and you have or at least you have to come up with one based on, an, yep. in addition to like, what is it that is our priority? What yep. what can I do? What does this org do to, to further the company's goals? Is someone yep. helping you with that at all? Uh, I have had a variety. There's no one person, but I have a, I have a variety of trusted uh, people that I talk with on a, on a, a number of axes. Like, you two may or may not be some of those people. I don't know if we're allowed to say that out loud, but yeah, <laughs> you two might be included in that list, uh, and, you, and you are. Might might be. <laughs> you might be. My my question is actually more, and 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 thank you. I'm glad that you're getting potentially getting value out of things that you're you're talking with me and Kendall about. But, um, is is your company helping yeah. you out? Are you getting coached like from your company? Are they supporting you in this? Yep. So then the other, way. what's that? In a formal way. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, so so the answer to that is yes and no. So we have, for example, uh, until actually like a week or two ago, because um, they've moved on to a new organization, we had a, an engineering chief of staff uh, who was also uh, our director of technical program management. Um, she was a tremendous coach to me through this time, through these past two years that we worked together. It, so yes, inside the company, I have the support and I have a great peer group in the company who provide feedback in like it I feel well supported in the company but no we don't have like formal budget for a coach for me for this purpose mm -hmm. um if that makes sense but it sounds so. like it's not a shark tank you're not like no. sink or swim here one of the, I hear that it's like that in a lot of places one of the things that I love about Envision is that it's a highly collaborative self internally supporting company like we're all in this together we're all working for the same team essentially like at the end of the day we're all on the same team and I have a, a great peer group, um, a very supportive peer group that I've worked with. And folks that have left Envision that I still stay in touch with, and they have Envision context, and they help provide feedback as well. Like they know what, they know the context of Envision, and they can kind of help provide some some feedback loops as well. So it's, it's that I feel well supported in that regard. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're we're getting towards uh, end of time. Is there anything before we move on to more personal subjects? Is there anything else you want to ask Kendall about leadership in general? Wait, was that no, too no, Kendall? No, no, I'm, I'm asking Kendall. Sorry. I know she's asked. Yeah. Is, sorry. is there anything that you would like to ask? I'm sorry. Me about I'm a jerk. I knew that. I was just being stupid. <laughs> I was unclear. Also, I hate that. Uh, what's um. I don't know. I'm I'm brand new to my career and thinking of being in leadership. And I sit down with Aaron and say, Aaron, what's the one thing I need to know if I'm going to be a leader in order to be successful? What's what's the advice you give me? Hmm. No pressure. No, that one's actually an easy one because I think the biggest thing that somebody can do is always to look at what are the goals of the people around them. How do they connect to an overall goal, and how can you as an individual achieve your goals, but also help other people achieve their, their goals. Because when we look at leaders and when you look at people who people respect and look up to and want to work with, they're people who they know will help invest in what they need to do to be successful at, not at the expense. It's not a zero sum game, not at the expense of their success, but they understand what they're trying to do. One of the reasons that I've 
there's a few reasons, but like one of the things that has helped me be successful is to look at the people that I'm reporting to and that I'm helping to deliver things against and to make sure that I deeply understand what it is they're trying, why it is they're trying to do what they do. Because then what I can do is achieve my results and make sure that if I have a choice to make, I choose the thing that helps both of us achieve our results um, as opposed to one that might work against theirs or against mine. So I think understanding the goals of the people around you and finding the most optimal path through that brings people together is a huge thing that anybody at any level can do. Well, and I, I actually think like it's something that I see particularly junior leaders miss a lot is not understanding what are the motivations, you know, of the people above them. Like, uh, you gave me this task and instead of asking, why do you need this accomplished? What's, what's the bigger goal that this is going towards? They just go and solve the problem the way they think, because you're interpreting a lot of context and often miss the boat. Um, and Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I, I see the value of that. It's a simple, you know, understanding the context. It's actually interesting in partnership conversations. Something I frequently ask people is how are you actually incentivized at your organization? Um, you know, like if we're going to work with you as a partner, are you incentivized based on how many deals we bring you? How many, you know, like, and it's very, very different in the way that we interact with people, like just understanding the incentives from the top of leadership all the way down to individual people, be they sales or partner people is, has an impact on how we interact with them. But anyways, well, let's shift to more of your personal life outside of uh, the individual contributor to management yo-yo that you have, are, are doing in your work life. Uh, what do you do for fun? Is it also yo-yo? <laughs> It's actually Rubik's cube right now. Not wish I was joking. (laughs) Is that your fidget cube? That's our fidget cube. So I, so just a little bit about me. Uh, My wife and I have been married for 20 years, actually in two weeks, it'll be our 20 year anniversary. So note to self, I need to go schedule that a couple overnights that we need to take. Um, And we've got four kids ages 16, 14, 10 and eight. And so we've got a wide, relatively wide, but not as wide as many um, range of kids. So for fun, we do a lot of family stuff. We go out and about. uh, We just moved here to Colorado. So we do a lot of uh, getting out into the mountains and hiking. The kids are coming along thinking it's okay, but uh, we still have to convince them in many cases. But uh, so I get out and hike on my own as well and thoroughly enjoy that. Um, not as often as I should, but I, I, I love, we love getting outside. I think uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went and took off work an hour early on a Wednesday, drove up into the mountains an hour and a half, uh, climbed up into a mountain and camped overnight and then came back Thursday morning, got to work about two hours late and uh, started my day just a couple hours, like intentional, you know, blocked the time off my calendar, but started my day a little bit late. And being able to do that is fantastic and was was hugely therapeutic. Of course, I was exhausted all day Thursday. So. <laughs> Yeah. Going, going to work right after sleeping yeah. outside. Uh, I was like, it'll, like be, it'll be fine. fine. It'll be fine. It'll yeah. be fine. Turns out I got two hours of sleep because my sleeping bag wasn't warm enough. So that oh was God. not a, you know, I, I learned a lesson. Off. I'm sorry. I spent a night once I had borrowed a sleeping bag because I had a friend in town who, you know, flew in. So I gave him my equipment and I borrowed a sleeping bag and I didn't realize till I was getting into the sleeping bag that it was like a woman's sleeping bag, which I did not know that was a thing that they made. I didn't and know it was that was really a thing. Smaller and was I could pink? only get one 
arm into it. And so I slept the entire night with one arm out of the sleeping bag and one arm in. And when I wanted to roll over, I would have to pull both arms out and then stick another <laughs> arm in and roll. And uh, it was not, it was, it was one of the coolest, most miserable nights of my life. Uh, I, mean, I also like, normally when it's the when it's the like ladies version of a thing like the you know the the screwdriver set or whatever the only difference is it's pink but in this case it's pink. It's oh, yeah. screwed oh, you. No. it was oh my gosh I, I didn't really say this earlier but i i also did bring one of the kids sleeping bags by accident on that overnight so i was also like <laughs> i was co- more cocooned than i've ever been cocooned in my life so. something about colorado i'm not yeah, sure yeah <laughs> But yeah, but other than that, we are doing a lot of Rubik's Cube lately. It has been a feature in the house. Um, and I'm happy to say that. Do you have just the regular one or do you have like, the, there's like seven different kinds, right? We bought a speed cube, but we have Ooh. not bought the like four by fours and two by twos and all of the variety of different types. I It took me until this year. I've never actually been able to solve a Rubik's Cube. So my son learned and then taught me. And now I'm proud to say I can do it in one minute and 30 seconds, which for me is Whoa. like an amazing he can do it in like 50 seconds at this point Mm -hmm. i don't know there's people that do it in four seconds but that's just yeah that's nuts i don't i will accept my minute 30 as like i'm done i'm out (laughs) i'm never gonna try this again i'm good i solved it yep if you mess that rubik's cube up i will end you because that thing will never be messed up again peel all the stickers off peel all the stickers off and put them back on and then you've solved it that's what my kids do they actually just pull the pieces off yeah and stick them back on yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, if people want to reach you elsewhere after this, where can they find you on the internet? Yeah. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Aaron Lurch, at Aaron Lurch. Mm-hmm. That's probably the easiest, uh, easiest, best way. I have a website that I've, that is totally defunct at this point. <laughs> so that doesn't count. <laughs> uh, there are multiple Aaron Lurches out there. I got, I was, I'm the oldest Aaron Lurch apparently because I got all the internet Aaron Lurch things before any of them mm-hmm. did. So you can find me. If it's Aaron Lurch, it's probably me. All right. Well, put that in the show notes. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Just google.com question mark Q equals Aaron Lurch. That's how you get a hold of him. It's you. It's all you. It's all you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, You guys are awesome. Thanks for for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for being on. Thank you.